excited to be here and to have you guys join us and get to know us. Yeah. So you just heard my lovely co-host, <laughs> Kelly. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure. This is as much my project as it is yours. I can't believe we're finally here. I know. First episode, guys. We're excited. We, uh, we have the intro episode, which if you haven't listened to the introduction episode already, please go and do that. It is a great way for us to introduce ourselves and for you to get to know us. And our purpose for doing that was that so once we did do our first official content episode, you could just jump right into that and we didn't have to waste airtime talking about that when we could get right to the content. But even though we did have our introduction episode, a lot has happened in a very short amount of time. And yes, it have, has. Yes, it's amazing how much has happened in a short amount of time. And uh, we do have some housekeeping stuff to uh, talk yes. about. Um, first, yes. I think we'd love to thank Bella for the amazing artwork. Thank you so much, Bella. And thank you to the rest of our friends and family for all your support, for we are truly grateful. Yes, my cousin Bella did our artwork for the podcast, and that artwork is on our Twitter page. It's on our Facebook page. It's the, it's the art you see when you're listening to the podcast, and she is an art student. Uh, she is in high school right now. She goes to a special high school for the arts. She's extremely talented and gifted. And she was the first person who I thought of when this opportunity came my way that I needed an image made for the podcast. And she was super eager to do it. She was awesome. She exceeded our expectations and we're super thankful to her for her contribution. Yes. So she's she's forever a part of the show. She is the MVP of she this is. episode. She and is. She show. worked. She worked with us, and she, like I said, she, uh, you know, she went above and beyond our expectations, which that, that was a lot. We, <laughs> we, we gave her a lot, but she, did. she, she pulled through. She's a champ. And uh, yes, Kelly, you mentioned our friends and family who have been so supportive in helping us get this show off the ground, and they've had to deal with long FaceTime calls and technical sessions and things that we've had to try to do to get this up and running to where we are now. So yes, I agree. We, we need to thank them and we really do appreciate everything they've done to help us get to this point. Yes. But yeah, so uh, thank you everyone out there for supporting us and listening to us. And we even have more stuff to tell you about. We finally have a social media presence. It is very exciting. It is. Uh, we have a Twitter, a Facebook, and an email. So I'm going to tell you about our Facebook page, and then Kelly will fill you in on the rest. So for those of you who are still using the Facebook platform, if you want to get at us on Facebook, our uh, Facebook page is called It's a Fans World at Facebook. The cover art, as we were saying, is the same art on the page, so we tried to make it consistent so that it would be easy to find us. Uh, feel free to like us and follow us and follow the page for updates on the show and what's going on with us. And we'll be posting about new episodes or future episodes and even just a space for everyone out there to talk to us about the show. We love our, we love your feedback and we'd love for you to support us that way as well. 
Absolutely. And if you're not using Facebook at the moment, or you just, you know, you want to see the different avenues you can use to come and contact us and interact with us. We also have a Twitter. The Twitter handle is it's a fans world P one, or, you know, I'm sure if you look up, it's a fans world podcast, it will pop up. Um, we'd love to hear it from you that way. We also have a Gmail account, which please feel more than welcome to email us and contact us that way. It's called It's a Fans World Podcast at gmail.com. Yes. So all of the handles are kind of similar and yeah. it's, it's very, it's very forward. It's easy to remember. And we did that on purpose so that any of those avenues that you're looking to use to uh, contact us and find us and follow along with us, it's easier for you. Um, and another thing that we uh, we do have to talk about some more housekeeping is um, this is your August episode, but as you'll see, the published date is September. Unfortunately, that's on that's a little bit of our fault. We had some trouble uploading this, some technical difficulties the first time we tried to do it. So even though this is your August episode, it will be released in September. We apologize for the technical difficulties and we thank you for hanging on as long as you have to hear this content. Um, that does not mean that you're going to be missing out on a September episode. We do have an ep September episode coming, which we'll talk about towards the end of the podcast. Um, but so this is your August episode, but the published date is going to be September. And, you know, as I've said, we apologize, but we thank you very much for hanging in there with us as we learn the ropes and learn how to navigate podcasting. Yes, definitely. We promise it is a learning experience. And as time goes on, we will learn the ins and outs of this whole process. Yes, we're getting better every day. It's every time we do it, it just gets that much better. Yes. But I think that's all our housekeeping stuff. So now we can get into the real reason why everybody is here. And that's because today we're talking about Disney's 1994 hit, The Lion King. Oh, this movie. You know what the first question is going to be. Did you like this movie or not? <laughs> you know me already so well. <laughs> yes. So that's how um, that's how I'm hoping to start off all these podcasts with a simple question. It kind of tips the hand of the speaker earlier on, but I feel like it's a good place to start because that way you know where the person's coming from. Uh, yeah. So yes, Kelly, my first question is, do you like The Lion King? I love The Lion King. I am very biased. I will be biased or I will try not to always be biased, but you know, we, we pick stuff that we have had great impact on ourselves or, you know, on the Disney community as a whole. And, you know, just so happens, I apologize in advance. A lot of these movies I will absolutely adore, but yes, for The Lion King, I love this movie. <laughs> what about you? Yes. So yes, I'm the same way. And uh, before I jump into that, I will say a lot of the projects that we're going to be picking first for our first go arounds are projects that we're really excited about or things that have made an impact on us. So I feel like the first couple of episodes, we are going to be extremely nostalgic and then we'll probably even out the more we do this. Yeah, we'll get into stuff that's maybe not so near and dear to our heart, but we'll offer good conversation. So, uh, yes, I love The Lion King. Um, I was four when The Lion King came out. And um, this will this will tie into my next question, because the next question I like to ask you are uh, what what are your first memories associated with The Lion King? So I'll, I'll combine those two questions right now. 
Uh, I was four. And I remember when The Lion King came out, it was absolutely everywhere. You couldn't escape it. And I was one of those kids that fully immersed themselves in whatever new Disney movie had come out for that year. So when Lion King came out, it, it was all about the Lion King that year. But that actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that kind of carried over a little bit for me. And it took a couple of years for the Lion King bug to kind of work its way through me. But I think it's because it was just that good. I believe it. I am very jealous because I did not get to see the Lion King as it came out in theaters. I think I got the early 2000s I want to say 2000 2001 that's when I was you know first with it enough to be able to enjoy this phenomenon and I had the VHS tape and it was just it was very well used yes my VHS tape saw a lot of wear and tear as well and um yeah this was one that I grew up watching a lot it was on Mm. all the time and as a child I actually used to spend a lot of time with my grandparents and this movie also sticks out for me because they're not my family's not a big disney family i'm the only person in the family who really carries a torch for disney but same yes so you feel you feel my pain you feel my (laughs) pain um but when this movie came out and i remember as a child i remember the whole family actively rallying around this movie and it being one that they wanted to watch. I remember uh, people in my, my, especially my grandmother, my grandmother is the first one that jumps to mind because this was always one when I would say, Hey, would you like to watch a movie with me? And she agreed to, or she had the time to, she'd always kind of steer me towards this one. And that's because she personally loved the animation but she also really loved the music and i remember from my grandfather my um memory associated with him with this movie is i never heard him laugh the way he laughed at timon and pumbaa specific (laughs) specifically the hula scene yes that that and even my dad they just they're grown men who are not disney fans they're in any way shape or form (laughs) and just their laughter associated with timon and pumbaa is a really happy memory for me i love that though and i i think that's a testament to just how good this movie is because it can be enjoyed by so many different age groups and it's like it's timeless humor like even going back and watching it now as an adult it's like you notice more, but also the things that got you as a kid, they got they get you now, and even more so the things you didn't pick up on. Like you, it was it's a very enjoyable experience, and that's such a nice memory to have in your pocket. It really is, and I think that's something that we'll see with certain projects, especially in the Disney camp going forward, is that the really good ones, they obviously there's something there for the child, but there's a lot more that the adult can enjoy or there's a lot more that you pick up on, be it subplot, subtext, undertones, or just adult humor that you didn't catch when you were a child that you catch now as an adult and you're like, oh, that's really why my parents were (laughs) laughing. So, yeah, so that's, and I think this, you know, like we said, this is one of those that falls into that category where it's obviously the attraction is there for the child and the audience, but this is one that adults and anybody really can 
find something to really like and really want to watch again in this movie. Definitely. So let's jump right in. So as we said, The Lion King came out in 1994. It was directed by Roger Allens and Rob Minkoff. It was produced by Don Hahn. And for those of you out there who Disney, if, if you recognize any names from the Disney camp, Don Hahn will be one that sends bells off. If you've ever seen um, Waking Sleeping Beauty, a documentary that he made about the Disney Renaissance period, uh, he produced The Lion King. And I believe he says that at the beginning of the documentary, which one day we will talk about that documentary because that documentary holds a special place in my heart. And I will talk about that documentary anytime, any day with anyone. It is so, on the list for the it's future. On, it's, it's on the list. It's coming. Prepare yourself now. Go and watch it. That's <laughs> your homework because one day we're going to talk about that documentary on It's a Fan's World. Lyrics were by Alan Menken. Music was by Tim Rice and Elton John, which I, what what more do you want? No wonder like why really? the, no wonder why the music was so good. Uh, Alan Menken at this point had had a long list of wins with Disney. He had done The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, and now he was working on Lion King. Uh, Tim Rice and Elton John are two, you know, as far as music and the movie industry and the music industry, two big names that have hits and successful careers on their own. And now the three of them are together to make music for this movie, which one of the things I think that I love about this movie so much is the music. And when you look at who made it, it's a no brainer. Oh, especially like the way they paired them so well with the scenes, definitely. It would not have the same impact that it does without being accompanied by that music. I agree. I couldn't say it better. I agree. <laughs> uh, the budget um, was... Oh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. No, you go. Okay. I was I was going to talk about the budget. Were you going to yes. talk about it? Okay. Great so, minds. <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you tell us about the budget? Alrighty. It's important to know, um, and a testament to the success of the movie, they started with a budget of $45 million. Um, USA gross was over $422 million, and the worldwide gross was $968 million. So, right so it there. It, it definitely tanked. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm being facetious. I no. shouldn't be facetious. But yeah, no. no. I mean, even in 1994, this was a financial success, and it's been over. Absolutely. It's been a, a good. It's been a good time, amount of time since then, and this movie has continued to expand onto different platforms and different media sources. So I can only imagine how much money this movie has made through different entities at this point. Absolutely, between the merchandise and everything else, definitely. Well, we'll get into merchandise. There yes. was plenty of merchandise. Um, it came out on June 20th in 1994, so it was the big summer movie hit for Disney, which at the time, the release pattern for Disney at this time during the Disney Renaissance was there was usually the big summer movie that Disney was banking on to be the big summer movie was whatever animated feature they were working on. And they were able to achieve this because they always had an A team and a B team. And sometimes A and B are just labels, but in this case, in The Lion King, A and B really meant the B team because the A team at this point was working on Pocahontas, which would come out a year later in 1995. But the B team was working on The Lion King and 
uh, I guess, I mean, we can talk about it now. It's as good time as any. Um, in my preparation for this podcast, one of the things I had found out was the B team was working on the Lion King and there was a breakfast meeting at some point that was held at the Disney studio where all the people who were working on all these projects and the higher ups sat down and they were looking for like a status report. And someone stood up and said, you know, Pocahontas is a home run. It's a hit. It's going to be the biggest thing we've ever done. And then there's Lion King and um, it's coming along. We don't know if anybody's going to want to see it. Uh, so yeah, that's that. And when I heard that, that, that actually came from Waking Sleeping Beauty. But when I heard that, I said to myself, I said, if this is the if this is the B team that's making this movie, if this is the content that the B team was producing, who was on the B team versus the <laughs> A team? And to think about the financial success that this movie was to sit here so many years later, almost this event 20 years, almost 20 years later, to, to think about the more than 20 years, more later. than 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody wanted to see this movie or that's what they thought that this was that's insane. That this was like an experiment and they were going to see how it went. And when you see who they have making the music and the cast list, cause we're going to talk about the cast list in a minute to, to think that this was the B project. I, I mean, and I love Pocahontas. I'm not, I'm not going to rain on that parade, but it's been compared before and I'll, I'll do it again now. But for those of you who love Pocahontas, I apologize, but Pocahontas to me is not the same as the Lion King. I, and, and again, I that, that, that was the A team project and this was the B team project. They're just, they're two excellent films, but they're on different levels. That's, I appreciate both, but I have to say Lion King just hits home a little, a little harder and a little differently than Pocahontas does, in my opinion. I agree with you. I, 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 I know people um, can get very defensive about Pocahontas and I can understand why, because I really do think it's a good film. And whenever we yeah. cover that movie, we'll talk about it, but to, to, to think that this project at one point was living in the shadow of Pocahontas, I just, it's funny because today that's not the case at all. So it just goes to show you, and, and it's funny because when um, the person who's talking about that in Waking Sleeping Beauty, when he's reflecting on this memory of this breakfast meeting, he he kind of ends his memory with, if, 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 it, if the Lion King can tell us anything, it's that nobody knows nothing. <laughs> Because, I mean, at this point, the, the project had even gone through several title changes. I think the earliest title that the project is known to have was in 1990. It was called The King of the Jungle. Hmm. And at that point, the inspiration had come from a documentary that one of the animators had watched. It was called Eternal Enemies, Lions, and Hyenas. And that's where the whole idea of the project came from. So I can understand where the original title King of the Jungle came from, but I think it was, uh, I think they were afraid it was too close to the Jungle Book, or that it was just giving different, different vibes. So eventually, I don't know how many titles other. I know it was more than one title change, and I'm not sure what some of the other names were. But obviously, somewhere along the line, they settled on the Lion King. I feel like it just works better. It's short and sweet and to the point. 
And it's more it's more direct to the story about what you're gonna get because King of the Jungle, Very I true. feel like I feel like if I heard that the the mental image that for me what I conjure up is not what I think of when I think of the Lion King, and that simply could be mm. because that's what that's what I associate the Lion King with is that name. <laughs> but I just I don't know, like you said, it's more direct, it's more sweet, it's to the point. I just think I agree with them. Lion King works better. All right, so now we can get into this supposed B-team's amazing cast of actors and actresses that they had to bring this host of characters to life. That's another thing that blows my mind. This is a B-team project with, like, an (laughs) all-star cast. The immortal James Earl Jones, B-team, excuse me. Yeah, Darth Vader himself has descended from the Death Star (laughs) to voice Mufasa and... You want to talk about, I mean, this man can give such a performance and the the way he does Mufasa, I mean, his voice is such a commanding presence. First of all, I think it's, I think that's a perfect casting choice. I would cast yes. the King of the Pride Lands as James Earl Jones, but what a depth performance that this man gives and his voice what he can do with his voice because if you think about the character of Mufasa and I think you and I were talking about this at one point he's not always the same person he's the king of the pride lands but he's also dad to young Simba and the warmth or the ferociousness that his voice can take on it's just a testament to how much of a great actor this gentleman is Oh, absolutely. And I, I don't want to get into it now because we're going to get into it later as we discuss our brief plot descriptions and like go a bit more into the different scenes. But yeah, just his interactions with each of the characters and he's just amazing. I could gush about this man all day. I really could. I know. I, I agree. I think he's a phenomenal actor and kudos to him for, I mean, eventually we'll get to this at, towards the end of the episode, but he was even one of the few to reprise his role in the yeah. new live-action remake, and I, I really appreciated that because for me, I think Mufasa is one of the hearts of this film, and you can't have Mufasa without James Earl Jones. And to be honest, I if James Earl Jones was able to reprise his role, I wouldn't want anybody but him to be Mufasa. I agree. It it just it wouldn't hit the same way. No, it wouldn't. Um, then we have Sarabi, who was played by Madge Sinclair. Yes, uh, she was phenomenal in that role. But then you have Scar as Jeremy oh. Irons, and again, another great vocal performance. Because you have to think when these actors are doing this, they're standing in a room with a microphone. And they have to bring this character to life solely with their voice. So as an actor or an actress who may be more classically trained for different, because they say, from what I've heard, doing voice work and voiceover is different than actual acting. So to kind of step back and retrain yourself and rethink how you're going to bring this character to life through nothing other than your voice and you have to do a good enough a good enough job so that when the animator steps in and you know animates the scene with your voice they have to somehow find a way to link the two. Oh, absolutely, especially like you said, they all they have is a microphone. They don't have anything to interact with. 
And I know um, I've heard it mentioned a few times for actors who work heavily with the green screen, it can be very difficult to generate those emotions and feelings for those scenes when you, you're not, you don't have anybody else around. But mm-hmm. no, I, I totally agree. Jeremy Irons and James Earl Jones, they are like the MVPs. Like I love the voice work by everyone in this film, but they definitely stand out to me the most. And I just, anytime you hear their voices, it's just like, that's who I go to. And it's an instant, it's an instant flashback. Cause like yeah. I've heard James Earl Jones. So I was obviously a Disney fan before I was a Star Wars fan. And it's funny because for majority of the world out there, when they heard Mufasa, they probably thought of Darth Vader. And it's the complete I did. opposite. It's <laughs> the complete opposite for me. When I heard Darth Vader, I thought of Mufasa. So it's you That know, must have been so confusing. <laughs> it was different. It was a different trip. I'm not gonna lie, oh. it was an experience. But my point is that their voice their voice work in this film can kind of become iconic, kind of like I said, you know, for, if you're a Star Wars fan, he's so iconic as Darth Vader that his voice and the voice work of some of these actors, they kind of transcend beyond themselves in the film because their voices yeah. just bring you back to whatever it is that they're doing. Mm, I agree. Who, who else was on this, this cast list? Take us down oh. some of the other names. So I'm not going to lie. Jonathan Taylor Thomas plays as young Simba, and I had the biggest crush on this boy <laughs> as Aww, a young child. I, I believe he was in Home Improvement. I remember watching the rerun, the reruns, excuse me, and I just I recognized his voice immediately, and I was like, "Who is that?" And then years later, I find out I had a huge crush on this boy. That makes me sad that you watch the reruns because I remember <laughs> watching Home Improvement live because I'm that old. I remember that was a film. Uh, that was a TV show that my parents really liked. And I remember for me, when, um, as I got older and I got to know the cast of Home Improvement more, I remember saying to myself, oh, hey, that's the voice of Simba. And my dad's like, yeah, he, he, you know, he did Simba as well as, you know, beyond Home Improvement. And I was like, oh, okay. But um, that's not uh, that old. <laughs> All right. Take us down. Take us down some more. Alrighty, so we have young Nala played by, excuse me for any names said wrong also, Niketa Kalami Harris. Um, you have Shenzi played by Whoopi Goldberg. Ban- performance. Oh, I'm sorry, I, love I didn't her. mean to cut you oh, off. Oh, not, a, not yeah. at all. Whoopi Goldberg is worth being cut, up for, cut off for. She is amazing. <laughs> um, we, have, we have Banzi played by Cheech Marin. Um, Ed by Jim Cummings. Um, and of he was course, a Disney staple at this point, Jim Cummings. He did definitely. a lot of he did a lot of work. Again, those of you out there who uh, names in the Disney camp that float around, Jim Cummings is responsible for a lot of the work done with Winnie the Pooh. And he's yeah. still he's still, but he does more because in the '90s you see him pop up a lot on television for the Disney. Um, channel he was one of the gummy bears i I don't remember i know he's the sorcerer gummy bear and that oh i didn't know that yes he's the sorcerer gummy bear and that name of that gummy bear (laughs) escapes me uh but he was darkwing duck he um winnie the pooh 
so during the 90s, Jim Cummings was making bank off of of Disney. Well, good for him because he's one of those chameleon voice actors. Yes. Where if you ever go on um, the internet and you look up Jim Cummings' voice performances, there's a video somewhere out there where it just shows him doing all the different voices live at like a Comic-Con panel or something like that. And it's insane because the the way he just flips from one to the other, it's like, wow, he, he really did do all those with no like audio help or anything like that. I'm just blown away. I, I love wa- looking up those videos and watching them behind the scenes and as they work and go about mm-hmm. trying to find like this character's essence and how to go about performing them. I just, I love watching that. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's amazing. It is behind the scenes uh, features and like documentaries or anytime they have those, like how it was made things on the DVDs or even on TV. I always love to watch things like that because Mm. I feel like if you're a real big fan of the movie, I find the creative process behind the final product just as interesting. Definitely. Oh, and next up, Matthew Broderick. Sorry, I can't talk today. Another one. I love this man. Um, And I remember. Exactly. And I'll be honest, I was so young before Ferris Bueller. Bueller, um, I remember him as an Inspector Gadget. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I forgot about Inspector Gadget. Oh, no. See, that was my, (laughs) that was one of my many movies as a child that led me into Ferris and yeah great actor very good actor why don't you take us down the rest because I think you know more about the next few than I sure so uh and again I I as well I'm terrible with names so I apologize to anybody out there whose names I do botch but uh Moria Kelly played adult Nala and then excellent performance great yeah she she is one of the characters who i feel like a lot of people have rallied behind in recent years she's the push for if there was ever going to be a disney princess that wasn't human i always see nala come into yes. that category and she deserves I totally it agree. she deserves it she's a great character she's a badass character and uh, we will get we will get to her uh, when we break down the plot. But then you have the two stars that just totally yes. steal the film, even though they're not trying to. You have Timon and Pumbaa, and Timon is played by Nathan Lane, and Pumbaa is played by Ernie Sabella. Nathan Lane, at this point, had had a really successful career around Broadway and doing other stuff. And so... I just, I feel like he would have been a great choice. Unfortunately, I don't know a whole lot about Ernie Sabella, and that's on me because, and again, now's a good time as I need to get to it, but one of my favorite stories surrounding this movie is that they knew each other prior to working on this project. And I remember you had mentioned that earlier. Yes, they knew each other prior, prior to working on this project, and when they arrived at the studio, they kind of had this like great reunion, and they were there to record an audition for the hyenas. I'm not sure which which particular of the three, but they they went in the hallway. They you know they they kind of came up with a game plan, and then they came back in to record. But the chemistry, according to the the 
the higher ups at the studio and the producers and the directors who were holding this audition, they said the chemistry was so much more between these two and it would have been wasted on a, on the roles of the hyenas that they called them back and they were like, Hey, you know, how would you feel about doing Timon and Pumbaa as opposed to doing the, the hyenas? And obviously they said yes. <laughs> so the rest is history on that. But that story, when you look at Timon and Pumbaa's chemistry throughout the movie, I love that more. Yeah, I, I, I just I do. I love that. I love that. I love that they had that much chemistry and that it would have been wasted on the hyenas. But it also allowed us to get three other brilliant actors and actresses to play the hyenas. So I think we got to win all the way around. I agree. And then you have Zazu by Rowan Atkinson, which isn't he? Is he the gentleman who does the Mr. Bean stuff? Is that his I want to say I want to say yes, but I I'm drawing a blank. I, Wait, I it, think that is him, and he's he's great too. He's funny. I again, I don't think anyone else could have played these characters at this for this specific make of the movie. Like it just it wouldn't have hit the same. Rafiki is another one MVP all the way. Mm-hmm, he is. So I actually use this. This thing in front of me, it's called a computer. I just <laughs> used it to double check that Rowan Atkinson is uh, Mr. Bean, and he is, so I was correct. And uh, if you've ever seen any of the Mr. Bean stuff, Zazu is a completely different character, but I love that he gives an equally great performance. I'm not going to lie, now that I know that, it makes it even better. <laughs> mm, right? And then we have lastly, but not lastly, because this character... Uh, is one of my favorite in the whole movie. And I think, I know I've said that for other ones, but this character really, watching back and reviewing this movie, um, I think I realized how much I really do love this character. And that's Rafiki. Last but not least, we have Rafiki played by, and again, I apologize, Robert Guillaume. Guillaume? I think so. Guillaume. Robert, if you're listening out there, if you ever do listen, I apologize. I'm terrible with last names. Same, it's okay. It's okay, but yes, uh, I love the performance he gave for Rafiki. I love the character of Rafiki. We'll get into it, because one of the things I'm going to ask you later is who's your favorite character, and all I'm going to say is Rafiki gave me a big run for my money this time around. The older I get, I appreciated that character a lot. I completely agree, and I again, I don't want to show our hand too soon, and we'll get into it more later, but definitely he has a very special role in this movie he does he definitely does so yeah we we've got our cast we've we've talked about all the wonderful voices we're gonna hear and talk about throughout this movie so i guess that leads us to jump right in i I think so um so for this next portion of this podcast we're gonna go into brief plot discussion um not so much scene by scene but just you know um just kind of focusing in on the ones that hit home a little more and just going over the rest. Yes. Uh, an attempt to stand out from all the other Disney podcasts out there, which I never realized how many there were <laughs> until we started doing this. Um, but an attempt to stand out and be a little bit different. We're going to talk about the scenes that we think are the highlights of the film, but we're going to give you enough of a plot rundown where if you've never seen the film, you'll be able to keep up with us. Exactly. So getting into it, 
I'm going to make a really bold statement right here on our first episode. Go for it. Go for it. The opening of The Lion King with the circle of life scene, I think this is one of, if not the best openings to a Disney animated movie that there is. It Words fail when trying to describe just how wonderfully put together this scene is. I completely agree with you. Like it's not, it's, it's a combination, I think, of the animation, the music, coloring they use and like as you see the sunrise and the shadows fade and it's just it's absolutely fantastic what they've done with this opening it is and i i've I've seen this movie hundreds of times and i still get excited i still get goosebumps (laughs) when i first hear you know the, the chanting and the sunrise i i love it i think this is i think this is Nah, well, I'll save that for later. Um, but <laughs> I, I just, I, I don't have enough good things to say about this opening. And I love that the song, through the animation, not so much the wording of the song, even though it's there in the song, the opening animation really kind of cements this whole idea of the circle of life because you have every animal coming to pay homage to the newborn Simba. From, you know, you see the giant elephants, but you also see the birds. And I think at one point they do a zoom in of the ants crawling along the tree. And it's it's like, wow, like they, they really covered that whole circle of life idea, which is a theme that's going to be in the film more in your face sometimes than not in your face. Definitely. So, as we said, the movie starts off with this amazing opening scene and song the circle of life, all the animals in the pride lands are coming to pay homage to King Mufasa and Queen Sarabi's newborn son, young Simba. Uh, You get this great opening number. And then after it ends, cut to black title card, Lion King. And then the movie takes on a completely different pace right after this big opening climactic number, you get this scene, you immediately shift to a mouse a mouse that is running around Pride Rock and we meet our villain. That's really, other than this this great musical number, the real character you meet in the movie is Scar. I, I have to say, I love this transition, especially since you kind of get to see like really the differences between both Mufasa and Scar's character. Like you see the amount of respect that is shown in the opening scene with the circle of life and like the animals coming to pay homage. And then you see Scar kind of playing and toying with this mouse about to consume it. And then you see, you know, Mufasa, Mufasa come in and their interactions. You see, it's just, I love it. It's, but what they're doing here is they set up so much for the they plot. Do. Because Scar, you can immediately see in his in his um, personality. I love the, that you brought up the contrast between Scar and Mufasa because from the minute you meet Scar, he's sardonic. He is he's he's sardonic. That's that is the, the <laughs> you know that that is Scar. He's gloomy. He's negative. He's sardonic. He's like woe is me. And then you have Mufasa, who Mufasa has great and infinite respect for the circle of life and the pride lands. And Mufasa is warm. And, you know, I would definitely say he's positive compared to Scar. But 
And then you look at the dynamic in the conversation between Scar and Mufasa, and Scar is immediately set up as the villain because one of the gripes that Scar has, I'm sorry, that Mufasa has with Scar is that everybody in the Pride Lands came to pay homage to Simba, but Scar did not show up. And, you know, we find out through the conversation that Scar didn't didn't forget to show up. He didn't show up on purpose, and that's because he's not happy. He thinks that he could be a better king, even better than Mufasa, never mind Simba. So now that Mufasa has a son, he's pushed further back in line for the throne, and he's just not happy. So it was a deliberate choice not to show up. And right here, the relationship between the two and the role that Scar is going to take on as the villain is really cemented here. And especially as we travel through the plot and you see what happens between these two characters and what one ultimately does to the other, this scene becomes more important when you look at it with a critical eye. And what a way to kind of jump right in and get right to the heart of the movie right at the beginning. Oh, absolutely. And like you said, going back and watching it again as with a critical eye and like trying to analyze what's going on, it's just you notice so much more. And yeah, I have to say, Scar is up there in my top Disney villains just because it's just his whole persona. He's a great choice. He's he's definitely gained points from me during this uh, watch. Like I said, like you said, I've been watching it more critically. He wasn't someone who I had a lot of respect for as a Disney villain, but he's definitely risen through the ranks and gotten points from me during this watch because he does some really messed up things and there's two types of disney villains there's the real freaky creepy disney villains like (laughs) like no like like frollo like judge and um for me king candy is up there in the because king candy kind of straddles the line of funny villain because that's the other type there's the funny villain like captain hook and hades where yeah they're menacing and they can do you wrong but at the end of the day they're the comic relief of the film and that's that's kind of their that's their bigger goal is being the comic relief so scar definitely crossed over for me to the in the category of creepy villain real villain yeah he uses quite a bit um as we go on you'll see he uses quite a bit of manipulation especially with simba and those mind games, especially, mm-hmm. you know, on a young lion, it's like... I'm a kid, because that's yeah. what Simba is. He's a kid. It's it's messed up. It's messed up, so yeah. So I think like that I makes said, him more sinister. Like he's, it does. He's, he's stab you behind the back type of guy. Yeah, and that's something that I never really picked up on before, or maybe because I'm not a huge villain fan, I didn't pick up on it because I didn't really care. But yeah, look, listening to that, this run through, um, Gar is manipulative and sneaky and he'll get you. So that was, that's what I, that was one of my biggest takeaways. Mm. So yes. So after Scar and Mufasa, uh, have, you know, are introduced to us in the film and the actual film, not necessarily the opening scene, we get to see Simba. This is our Simba scene. So we're still in the beginning of the movie. We're still in some of the first scenes. But this is the first scene we meet Simba. 
And we get this great scene between Simba and Mufasa, father and son, where Mufasa takes Simba up on Pride Rock as the sun is rising the next day. And, you know, he tells Simba. And you can also kind of tell some time has passed because Simba's now a young cub as opposed to an infant. Yes, yeah, so we see this interaction between Mufasa and Simba, and it's very touching. And you see, again, this theme of circle of life. Mufasa's trying to instill into Simba this lesson, and he, you see, he comments, you know, everything the light touches is our kingdom. And the camera shows, as the sun's rising, everything. And Simba says, oh, but what, what about the, what's the dark? And he's like, no, that's not ours, you know, focus on this. Um, there's also a scene um, with Zazu, Mufasa and Simba where they try to teach Simba how to hunt and it's just it's a very nice transitional scene where it's like there's so much happening but there's so much not happening at the same time if that makes sense and it's just you get a feel for the dynamic between these characters. Yes I agree with you there's there's a lot that's set up in that moment because yeah. you know in one on one hand this is a father and son and you can see Mufasa trying to be the good dad and tell his son, you know, like one day this will all be yours, like, you know, and he's trying to instill his values. But at the same time, this is a king and a future ruler, you know, and he's also trying to give that rulerly advice, like, like you said, that transition scene before he, uh, he tries to play a trick on Zazu and have, you know, Simba harass Zazu. <laughs> he, he tells him, but that, you know, you have to have respect for this balance that is called the circle of life. If you abuse the circle of life and you throw off the balance, there's going to be greater repercussions. And again, as we said, that's a theme throughout the movie that you see visually, you hear them talk about it. Sometimes it's subliminal. And this is one of the times where it's not so subliminal. Definitely. And we'll get into it later, but keep this moment in mind because you do see the repercussions of it. Um, toward the end of the film yes you do and that's yes yes you do so what happens next all right so this next scene um we see the interaction between scar and simba and i think this is very important too because we see scar manipulate simba towards going to the part that's not his kingdom the elephant graveyard um and he's just kind of trying to contradict mufasa's lesson and just kind of get simba into trouble and frankly a dangerous situation that a young cub should not be in yes he's already he's already working young simba because seeing you can tell that simba likes scar that's his uncle and he looks it's up that to childhood him. that childhood innocence like why would my yes. uncle do anything to harm me yes and that's something that carries simba through a lot of his interactions with scar as a young cub you mm -hmm. see that innocence come into play, and that's something that Scar knows is not only there, but something that Simba, you could say, is guilty of having that child innocence. And that's his main thing. That's what he uses to manipulate Simba, because like you said, he's already contradicting what Mufasa told him two minutes ago. He's like, oh, I shouldn't have brought that up. And... Uh, you know, he's... Anytime he's you say that to a kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Anytime you say that to him. a kid. <laughs> he's baiting him so you know he plants the idea for Simba to go to this place that he knows he shouldn't go to but it might be fun who knows what you'll discover there and Simba runs off to go get his best friend Nala who we oh yes meet, we meet young Nala at this point 
and young Nala, with the guidance of Zazu, go off to play for the afternoon. But they know they have to ditch Zazu because if they want to go to the Elephant Guard, which Simba, you know, now drags Nala into this plan, and she's all for it because she loves adventure just as much as Simba does. So they know they have to ditch Zazu in order to be able to go to the Elephant Graveyard because that's something he would never allow as he's their chaperone. So I felt so bad for this bird <laughs> as a child because I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, he heavily reminds me of one of my aunts, like just very loving, very responsible, very by the book rules and just trying to keep you safe. But it's such a typical kid thing to do. Like, oh yeah, let's just ditch this guy. Do, mm-hmm. <laughs> do what yep. we want. Ditch the uh, fuddy-duddy. Exactly. And this scene, I'll let you take over this one, but this scene is absolutely magical. And this is one of the songs you take away from the movie and that once you hear it, you're going to be singing it for at least a week. I just can't wait to be king. Yes. So, as Kelly said, the I just can't wait to be king. This is the transition scene where they figure out that they're going to lose Zazu through this great magical number. And as the name implies, I just can't wait to be king. It's sung by young Simba. And it's basically him telling Zazu about what kind of king he's going to be when he gets older. And this song is, it's a toe tapper. It's a great <laughs> song. It's a, You want to sing along to it. It's not a hard song to sing along to. And this is a song that has seen a tremendous amount of life outside of this movie. Uh, yes. We're, we're going to get into uh, like theme park presence and whatnot later in the podcast. But this is a song that has been featured in you know, ads for the movie. This has been in a lot of park stuff that Disney has used in the parks. It's been in other things it's it's referenced in some other things it's it's a song that has become synonymous with the movie and it's taken on a life of its own i totally agree with that and again if you if it's been a while since you've seen this movie definitely even if you just go back and watch clips this is one of the clips i'm like yes go back if you're having a bad day just watch this listen to this song and i i guarantee it it will brighten you up it will. The animation is beautiful. The colors that they use in the animation are beautiful. And it's fun because ultimately they do lose Zazu through the song. So it serves dual purpose. It's a fun way to kind of break up the moment in the film and get a song in there. But they do accomplish their mission of losing Zazu and they sneak off to the elephant graveyard. Oh, yes. And I think I, you kind of said it already. I, it's that transition. You see the bright colors. You know, the sun is shining, everyone's happy. And as they enter this elephant graveyard, it's like a total switch, total yeah. switch. You, you see the bones everywhere. And you know what? As a kid, I was kind of really creeped out by this scene. Like, I was like, okay, something's going to happen here. Well, and, you know, that's the thing where with an animated movie, there's so much more to go off of other than dialogue and whatnot. The animation mm. speaks for itself and colors and, you know, every other choice just becomes exaggerated. And I'm glad you brought up the use of color because this film is a bright film. It, it utilizes a lot of colors to bring the, the, you know, the setting of the African Savannah to life. And then, like you said, they shift to this graveyard and they could not use color to convey 
the theme and the feeling of the graveyard any better than they did because it's dark and gray. There's no sunlight. Everything is barren. You can tell that there is no circle of life here because there's not even a tree growing. So the balance has been way thrown off. Definitely. And I think it's important too. Here is where we meet the hyenas. And it's like, you know what, looking at this um, from a critical standpoint, it's interesting because it's like the hyenas are all that's left and it's because they've upset the balance. That's why this land is dark. Oh, look at you. That is hundred. <laughs> that is a hundred percent true. That you know, if if you know anything about hyenas, they're scavenger animals. So yeah, that is all that's left is the bones for the hyenas to gnaw on. So, uh, yes. So our young cubs have now snuck in to see the hyenas, and um, you know, two young cubs against three hyenas that are out to kill them as, as funny as they are they're looking at these two young cubs as a snack so they're gonna need saving so obviously Mufasa has to come in and save them I love the part though um so there's a scene to give you guys a sort of visual especially if you haven't seen the movie like there's a chase and you see them get caught up against a bone wall and they're trying to get away and Simba tries to roar and they kind of mock him for a bit and then he goes to roar again and you don't expect it, you hear Mufasa's roar over his. And I kind of like that because I see it as a sort of foreshadowing too, like, you know, for when Simba grows up because like he takes the place. And I, I love the way they did that. I always thought that was a really clever way to do it too, because I agree with you. There's a lot of foreshadowing there, but also in that moment, you're not expecting Mufasa to show up because from your standpoint, if this is your first time watching it, um, you don't know that Zazu has gone off and figured out where they've gone and that he's gone to get Mufasa. So obviously Mufasa can save them. You're taken aback the first time you hear Mufasa's roar because I remember when I was a kid, the first time I watched it, I was like, wait, what? And then <laughs> you see Mufasa jump in and save them. And I was like, oh, okay, I got it. And I, I agree with you. I really liked the way they did that because not only is it foreshadowing, but it's a really clever way for them to show that Mufasa is doing his role as a dad and he's come to save his son. Absolutely. And as he comes to save his son, he sends Nala away with Zazu after reprimanding the hyenas, of course. And that was epic to just see them like tremble at his presence. I was like, wow, okay. And I think... um. Will be Goldberg's character. She's like tries to play it off. Oh, he's your son. We didn't know. <laughs> I was so glad you brought that up because I was gonna say, as a kid, I always thought it was really funny how they were yeah. like, Oh, this is your son? I had no idea. And like uh the two hyenas are going back and forth trying to play it off, but then there's the third character who's voiced by Jim Cummings, who one doesn't talk that much. And he just <laughs> nods his head because they're like, did you know that this was his son? And he nods his head, yes. And Mufasa just loses it. And they, you know, they run away. I, I always thought that was really funny. Definitely. And it's just, it's like the perfect, they timed everything perfect with this movie. Like you have the moments of light and fun, and then you have the tension and the scary moments for a kid. And then you have this, you know, this break. And I love how the hyenas kind of fit that role as that, that comic relief. Yes, when Timon and Pumbaa are not on the screen, there's always a comic relief because, you know, even when Timon and Pumbaa are not on the screen, Zazu kind of picks up that role sometimes. 
But then even the hyenas take up that role. Uh, and I think it helps the timing and the pace of the movie to have bits of comedic relief spread out. But it also, it this movie is a really tight movie. There's not a lot of downtime. There's not a lot of fat that you could, you know, so-called fat that you could say, mm. well, they could have done without that. They could have done without this little bit of a lull here and there but every character is serving a purpose in the larger scheme of things and by the time the movie is done you can kind of see everybody's purpose throughout the movie no I, I completely agree and I like the way you said that and it's it's like the circle of life everyone fits their purpose mm, yeah Ooh, look at, again look at you <laughs> this is why she's my co-host <laughs> so as the force is strong with us <laughs> okay different <laughs> different fandom all right so um yes yeah, so you see uh mufasa comes to collect them with zazu zazu takes nala away and you see this you see uh mufasa acting as not just a ruler but as a father in this scene and he's like you see simba like a little kid i love the way they drew this and especially with the animation like their facial expressions because like they perfectly imitate, you know, you're a kid and you're getting reprimanded by your dad and the way he's like kind of trudging after him and Zazu before he leaves, he's like, good luck. And it's like, mm -hmm. you see Mufasa. Big, good for you, Zazu, because I don't know if I would wish the kid good luck after he ditched me, but he is a kid and I, you know, yeah. I like I like that Zazu was there for Simba, but I love how you brought up the animation because he is kind of like, dragging his feet and trudging behind Mufasa yeah. because he, he knows that he knows what he did is wrong and he's gonna get it and I love when after Nala is escorted away by Zazu I love how Mufasa you just you're the camera is on Simba but you hear Mufasa call Simba and he does it <laughs> with such an edge in his voice but what I love is you see Simba grimace and it's so true. If, yes. you, if you've ever been reprimanded, you, when you know it's coming, you do kind of grimace when you know that somebody's calling you for something that you don't necessarily want to hear or want to face. And I love that it, it gives the film that much more realness and it makes those characters more tangible to see them, even though they're not they're not human they're not real performers they're animated characters but even beyond that they're animated animal characters but to see them take on those human emotions and do it so well it really adds uh, an extra depth and tangibility to the character i couldn't have said it better i absolutely agree with that and especially in this next scene where they look at the stars and i we talked about it briefly before. I'm going to let you take over this one because I love the way you put it. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he, he tells him, and again, this is, this is credit to James L. Jones. This is yes. credit to the writing. Because, again, in this one scene, he, Mufasa doesn't get a whole lot of scenes throughout this movie, and you're going to find out why if you already don't know. Um, but this is, this is another moment where Mufasa has to toe that line of being a parent and being a ruler. As a king, he needs to tell Simba why he messed up and what, and why what he did was wrong, that he went looking for trouble where he shouldn't have found it. But as a parent, 
he's also trying to convey to him that your safety was in jeopardy. And as your father, that worries me. I was worried for you. I was afraid for you. And as a ruler, you were about to stir up something that could have had bigger consequences for the Pride Lands. And it's just a scene that's done so well. And then yes. again, and then by the end of the scene, you see that Mufasa kind of sheds that ruler role and he goes full dad because as mad as he is with his son, he was a young cub once who was rambunctious and brave and he, he forgives Simba and they have this great parent father son moment and he instills Simba. He instills in Simba a little bit of wisdom that is going to come back to him at some point in this film. And he says to Simba, he says, you know, like, look up at the stars. The great kings of the past are up there. So whenever you feel alone, just remember that they'll be there for you and I'll be here for you too. That scene, I have to say, re-watching the movie before, because a lot happens after this point, guys, if you're not familiar, so be prepared. Um, I teared up. I teared up at that scene. I was very surprised because I hadn't before, but it's like, I guess knowing what was coming, I was like, oh, it hit me. (laughs) Really? Be prepared, Kelly? Really? Was that... uh, That that was not intentional. (laughs) So, you're on fire today. Seeing how your subconscious has taken you to be prepared, I'll let you talk about this next scene. Oh, all right. So, um... We see uh, the hyenas in their lair, and they're kind of discussing the food shortage. And Scar makes an entrance in beautiful villain fashion, and they get into this song, and they're kind of talking about staging a coup. And yes. but they don't want Scar to be accountable, so they see Simba as the weak spot, and if they can somehow, you know make this work to get Scar the throne and be prepared is the absolutely catchy and most it's like he's the villain but it's like you gotta love this scene yeah so this is so Disney usually in the Disney animated film uh, especially if it's a musical there's always a villain number and this villain number while I said Scar wasn't one of my favorite villains or a villain that I held in high regard this song I always held in high regard. And again, all the songs are really catchy in this film, but this one especially catchy because like you said, they revealed that, you know, and Scar even says it in one of the lines, he uses the words meticulous planning. You see that through this song, Scar has been meticulously planning his rise and his coup that he's about to pull on Mufasa for the throne. And Simba Simba and the hyenas play an important role in this. Absolutely. So, as we said, uh, this song, like so many other things in the movie, and you've heard us say this before, but it serves dual purposes. It's a great song, but Scar ultimately, in grand villain Disney fashion, lays out (laughs) his his plan in this song. And um, so the scene shifts after Scar finishes his song. You see that it's you know, the next day or whenever. And he is with Simba in a gorge. And he's kind of, you know, he's got guts. He's reprimanding him for going to 
the elephant graveyard. That's the conversation that they start off with. He, he's like, you know, you weren't supposed to be there, but I guess your dad already reprimanded you, so I really won't bother. And he gets Simba to work on his roar because, as you said, you know, Simba tries to fend off the hyenas by roaring at them. And that's something that Scar brings up. So he tells Simba to work on his roar. And as Simba is working on his roar in this gorge, it echoes. And he thinks that his roar and the echo set off the wildebeest stampede. But what Simba doesn't know is that the hyenas were waiting for his roar as a cue to chase the wildebeest into the gorge and start off the stampede scene. I have to say, as a kid, it took me a minute for this part because like, I knew something was going down, but I, it, it wasn't until after the scene I was able to fully process and I was like, wow, Scar, I was horrible. The way they build it is they yeah. show you all aspects as it's happening because you see Simba's point of view, but then, you know, Simba doesn't, you see what Simba doesn't is that the lot that the hyenas are really the ones who started this uh stampede and uh Zazu being the watchful uh watchful friend that he is oh no I'm sorry Mufasa Scar. Scar that's right I'm so sorry uh oh, Mufa okay. Mufasa and Zazu are together and Scar goes and gets Mufasa and he's like you know stampede in the Gordon and Simba's there so now Twice in a short amount of time, Mufasa is worried about his son's well-being. So he and Scar race off to the gorge to go rescue Simba. And I have to say, as it, this was like the most stressful scene mm. as a child to watch. It was, and especially what happens next. But like this, I can't, I think, um, forgive me if I'm wrong. I believe just this stampede scene alone took a few years to animate. It did. And I, this, it, you can tell. Yeah, this was one of the more technical, technically advanced scenes of the movie, and I know they struggled with this a lot. It did. It did. This was one of, and because of the technical difficulties, or not necessarily technical difficulties, the difficulty of the technological aspects of the scene and how they wanted to do it. Uh, this was one of the last scenes to get done. And at this point, computer animation hadn't really taken off yet because it's still 1994. But mm. Disney was starting to get into the computer animation game very slowly. Every scene, every move, every, I'm sorry, bleh, every Disney movie <laughs> kind of had that big computer animated scene. For Beauty and the Beast, you can tell there's computer special effects when Bill and Beast are twirling around the ballroom. You can see it in the way the camera pans itself over the angles that it does. But for this scene, this is like the big computer animated scene where they use computers and special effects. And you can really tell, especially when you get that shot of the lower level of Mufasa kind of running and slinking his way through the wildebeest's feet. And it's that, it's like that ground level view as opposed to an aerial view mm. that you, you could tell there was some, you know, real technical work being done there. 
But yes, so this scene leads to probably one of the most heartbreaking Disney scenes in any Disney movie. I'm 30 years old and I still I I teared up. I still tear up and we're going to we're yeah. going to talk about this, but I'll let, I'll let you start us off with this, Kelly. So uh unfortunate oh, unfortunately <laughs> yeah, unfortunately Mufasa does not make it through the scene. Um so it's important to note that um Simba is rescued by Mufasa. He's um able to be saved from the stampede. But they are separated. Um, you see Simba climbing up to safety, and he no longer has sight of his father. And then you see Mufasa climbing up to safety, and Scar meets him there. And as Mufasa's hanging off the ledge, he's like, Scar, help me. And it just, oh, the look in Scar's eyes, you see him grab hold of Simba, and you, I mean, forgive me, grab hold of Mufasa, and you see Mufasa flinch because Scar has his nails out. Says, "Long live the king!" And he basically lets Mufasa fall to he his death him. in the stampede. He does push he him. Pushes him. He just I, like I don't mean to cut in, but I know it's okay. Get, but that's something I notice now is that I, like I said, I always thought as a child he let him fall too. But when I was watching it this time, I was like, "Oh no, he pushed him." <laughs> that was really deliberate. Oh, it's just. What comes next, though? It, it it was difficult. I'm not gonna lie. Maybe it's because it's uh quarantine time, and that's when I was watching it. Maybe emotions were high. I've always like at least teared up during the scene. But um, you see Simba climb down and catch sight of his father just laying there limp, and Simba goes over to him. And this is when the animation, like the quality of animation, really shines because you see every expression on his face and he starts calling to him like dad come on dad wake up and even worse as Mufasa doesn't respond you see Simba just kind of climb under his arm and just kind of lay there with him and you can tell a few moments pass and of course Scar has to come in and he's just like he puts the blame all on Simba and Simba being a child being vulnerable and just not thinking Uncle Scar would do anything like this. Um, he believes Scar that it was his fault, and he's like, "What do I do?" And Scar says, "Run away, run away, and never return." And that kind of leads us to him meeting Timon and Pumbaa. Yes, but before we leave the scene, yeah, I I love how you talked about how you see all of the expressions flash across Simba's face, and the animation really shines. And one of the things that I noticed is if you really look at Simba, especially as he's trying to figure out whether or not his father is dead or alive, he starts to cry. And you, oh, can, yes. start, you can see the actual tears start to well up in his eyes. And from again, from a technological standpoint of view, this to see to see that that's one of the things that gets me going and me start crying is not only do you have this little kid who's trying to find out whether his dad is alive or not, but when Simba starts to cry, I start to cry. And like the way he says it, his voice starts to shake. They give, as I said, they give this animated character so much human depth that that's one of the things that makes this scene that much harder to watch. And there's a lot of emotion 
and then you're I want to talk about Scar like you've said. Yeah. Scar comes out of the shadows and I loved I loved that that Scar just very slowly comes out of the shadows. And this is where as you said, you know, Simba, he's young and vulnerable. He is asking his uncle how could this have happened and Scar uses this moment to really how sinister to drive this this young kid into thinking that he just killed his father and that his actions are so unredeemable that he has to run away because how could how could he ever face anybody else and have anybody ever find any redemption for him that he has to run away never return and abandon everything that has been set up for him thus far mm-hmm. so he makes Simba run away and then to for Mufasa this is like the icing on the cake for his plan he tries to get the hyenas to make sure they finish him off but because the hyenas are who they are they they don't end up killing him and they (laughs) they kind of blunder their way through that and Simba gets away and the hyenas are like well you know what are the odds of him coming back if he comes back we'll kill him then and yeah (laughs) <laughs> they good luck with that it kind of reminds me of hercules it does it you know yes it does there's a, a lot of for pain and panic pain and panic and hercules really do mimic the hyenas in that moment because when whenever we talk about hercules they do something similar with hercules where hades needs to get rid of baby hercules so he leaves the henchman in charge of the act and that's a trope too. You let the henchman do it and the henchman messes up, allowing the character to fly under the radar of the villain because the villain thinks they're already dead. So, yes. So this scene ends and we shift to everybody's favorite dynamic <laughs> duo, Timon and Pumbaa. And what an entrance they make. Oh, it's beautiful. I, I, I believe he's, um, I'm not going to do it justice, but you can see even now, aren't they singing or humming as they come up to him? That's they have a, a little beat going. That's a later thing. They literally run onto the screen because they're chasing the buzzards off of Simba. Oh, that's right. But they're literally yelling and screaming and just that, as an adult, <laughs> you know, because I have my memories of Timon and Pumbaa of everything that's come after this movie, to go back and realize that this is their original entrance into the Disney world that they run on screen yelling and screaming. It's, I think it's great. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so uh, the movie kind of goes into a, um, uh, well, okay, so we get another song, so we have to let's let's slow down. So Timon and Pumbaa, they rescue Simba, they take him, uh, they they kind of adopt him, and they cement the fact they're gonna adopt him through the song Hakuna Matata. Oh, this is another staple of my childhood. I think this song is a staple for everybody. This is another song. Yeah. This is another song again that has seen life outside of this movie and has been. So many. The phrase Hakuna Matata has kind of worked its way into our culture. Exactly. I mean, hey, it means no worries. It does mean no worries. So actually, um, this is this is a good enough time to bring this up. So when the film was being produced, right after the present, uh, not presentation, right after the Beauty and the Peace premiere, 
a team of animators and producers got on a plane and flew to Kenya for about two or three weeks. And they went to Kenya to study animals and learn and experience all that they could, not only about animals, but about African culture. And they really wanted to make sure that they made a movie that was as respectful and accurate as they could. But when they came home, they also realized how much of African culture that they had fallen in love with. And they had picked up phrases along the way, such as Akuna Matata. It doesn't it doesn't exactly translate to no worries, but it's it's really, really close. Um, but there were other Swahili phrases that work its way into the movie as uh, Swahili is one of the languages that is spoken in Kenya. Um, I know lion is Simba in Swahili. Simba means lion. Rafiki is friend. There's a couple of other ones. I know I heard a little bit about that before, but I really love that they did that. Like, I feel like that just gives it a more genuine quality. And if they hadn't, you know, went that extra mile, because that's what you should do when making something like this. I agree. And that's actually one of my favorite things is that when Disney does a project, uh, because it's um, one of the most recent examples that I can think of is like Frozen and Coco. You see a lot of pull from uh, Mexican culture and you see a lot of pull from Norse culture or Nor- mm. is it in, uh, Frozen is in Norway, right? I believe so. Yeah, so you see a lot of Norse culture being pulled and tradition and lore. So I love that they they try to capture Africa, you know, African culture and what they saw and what they experienced. But that even comes through in the music because um, one of the, the, gen- the gentlemen who is responsible for the African chanting that you hear at the beginning, I believe is Lebo M. And I believe he's, I, I think he's from South Africa. So again, just another African presence, but it's also somebody who's more of a cultural authority on hmm. He's a cultural authority, so like <laughs> to have his input and to have his knowledge. Yeah, I I love, and I also love because as somebody who is on the receiving end of this film, the the little snippets of culture that they try to put in this movie to make it as authentic as they can, it makes it more real for me, and it Definitely. gives it it gives it that authenticness and that warmth. But I appreciate being exposed to different cultures. Like that's one of the reasons I love things like this when they do things like this because not only does it make the movie authentic but as like me personally I love getting that other culture experience no I completely agree and I think that kind of ties into us being history majors as well Hmm. it's just it's just our appreciation for you know all of it like how things came to be and what makes up yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I love being a history major is because you get to dive into all different things. And cultural mm. history is one of my favorite things. So anytime I can get culture experience through other avenues, I'm I'm always up for it. No, I absolutely agree. So, but yeah, so that was our little rant. It was somewhat related, <laughs> but it wasn't. We won't rant anymore. We'll get back to the movie. So Timon, Timon and Pumbaa. And Pumbaa. <laughs> Timon and Pumbaa, uh, they raise Simba, and through the Hakuna Matata song, you get... Montage. 
yes, you get a montage. You get an age montage of Simba. He's growing up. And by the end of the song, he is full grown. And the movie kind of goes through different things with this montage. But one of the next things we want to jump into is Nala ends up returning. So something we didn't talk about is as Simba runs off and he's been adopted by Timon and Pumbaa, there's a very brief flashback of Scar telling everybody what happened and telling the remaining lionesses of Pride Rock that he tells them that Simba and Mufasa are dead. So he's taken his place as king and Nala ends up coming into this scene thinking that Simba is dead. So when she runs into Simba after trying to eat Timon and Pumbaa, <laughs> because that's how they two that's how these two characters meet up again. Simba is defending his friends. From- I think it's also sorry for interrupting. I think it's also important to mention really quick that as Scar goes to take the throne, you see that he lets the hyenas come in and they kind of creep in. So the reason for why Nala is hunting so far away from Pride Rock is because, you know, it hints at it here, but we find out more later, there is no food left. So that's important yes. to know that with Scar's ascension to the throne, the circle of life becomes imbalanced. And that's kind of what leads Nala and Simba to reunite, which is kind of ironic in a way. It really is. Yes. So uh, just as you said, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's something that I skipped over. Um, yes. Yeah, so Nala's hunting really far out. And she runs into Simba. Simba and her reconnect. And you get... Uh, so after they're redone reconnecting, they kind of go off on their own. And this is this is a funny <laughs> part. Because you get Timon and Pumbaa commenting on the fact that Simba is going off with a girl. But this song, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? This is, is a beautiful, beautiful song. And there's actually a fun fact. So when Elton John was asked to come on and do the music for the movie. He immediately accepted because he's always been a big Disney fan. And, and he was telling... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was... So I was actually listening to an interview where he was saying, you know, I've always loved Disney and I love the, the musicals and I've always wanted to write a big Disney romantic ballad. So given the opportunity to do so on The Lion King, I jumped at it and he ends up telling a story of a screening, an early screening of The Lion King that was done. I'm not sure if it was done for a private audience or if it was a film festival, but a pencil sketch or early early production sketch of the full movie of The Lion King was done. And they turned the love ballad of Can You Feel the Love Tonight into a comic song that was completely done by Timon and Pumbaa. And it was really comical. It was really funny. And when everything was over, he went up to the directors and the producers and he flipped out. He's I like, would too. I would too. I mean, compared to, I don't know what the comic version of the song was, but to see what this beautiful song is and to see that they turned it into a comical element, he flipped out. He threatened to walk away from the project and take all his music with him. He's he he's like he demanded that they change it back and they did and I'm forever grateful that they did because yes. this this song is again a lot of songs in this movie have seen life outside of it and this one is really popular when it comes to other Disney romantic moments. I've seen overlays of 
romantic montages done with just this song by Disney and not by Disney, but even in the context of the movie, it's just it's it slows the entire movie down. The characters do get a chance to speak in the movie. I mean, in the movie, the characters get a chance to speak in the song through lyrics. So you kind of get a little bit of their inner dialogue toward each other, but it just slows the movie down. And it's such a beautiful song. I can't imagine. I'm so glad they put it back in. It just, it's like, it's exactly like you said, and it fits so well. And I think it's also real quick to important to mention that, you know, Toward the beginning of the film, Zazu comments um, right before um, I Can't Wait to Be King. He's like, they're kind of betrothed, but they were betrothed the whole movie. So it's like, this is kind of, it's really nice. Like, not only do they reconnect and like they, you know, they fall in love. It's just, it works. It works very well. I like how they did it. Yes, that that idea that, you know, like Zazu had hinted that they are going to be married one day. And at the time when they're children, and it's funny because when you do grow up, you look at people who have been in front of you your whole life differently as children mm. when they're best friends. They're like, ew, I'm not going to marry him or I'm not going to marry <laughs> her. But when they're adults, they look at each other and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe maybe I will marry you. And Yeah, you know, I, I like I like how that little nugget was thrown in toward the beginning of the film. So that way it wasn't just like out of the blue. Yes, that's another. uh, This film, like I said, a lot of things come full circle in this film and they make sure they cover all their points. I agree. I feel like if, if move, I feel like if Simba and Nala (laughs) were just kind of thrown together in a romantic relationship it would have worked, but I buy it, I believe it, and I want it more because it was hinted that this is how it's supposed to be. But not only is it how it's supposed to be, but it's something that the characters also want by the time the movie is over. Exactly. So our song takes us forward and Simba and Nala are enjoying an evening together, but Nala starts to talk about as they start catching up, they, she starts to talk about what's going on in her life. And as Kelly said earlier, she, she tells Simba that life in the Pride Lands is not what he remembers it. Scar has taken over, and with Scar has come the hyenas, and he's allowed them to run rampant and throw the circle of life completely out of balance. The, the land itself has suffered. There's no food, no water, and... Now that Simba's alive, she kind of looks at him and she's like, where have you been? Why haven't you come back? Like, do you realize you could change all this? And he gets mad at her for ragging on him. But this is one of the reasons why Nala, I think, is praised and revered as much as she is. One of the first female characters in a Disney animated movie to really stand her ground. When Simba, yes. when Simba pushes back and he's like, look, get off my case, leave me alone. She she looks at him. She's like, no, I'm not going to get off your case. Like, you're, you're the future king. You're the one who can help us. You're the one who can save us. And you're out here doing who knows what, lollygagging, and the entire Pride Lands is suffering. It's like at this point, too, you kind of see just how much of an impact Scar's words have had on him. Because mm. to this, to the, at this point of the movie, it's like all that time he still thinks he's responsible for his father's death, and it's that fear of that uh, 
followed him throughout his childhood and adolescence that, you know, what will they think of me when they find out what he believes to be the truth? Yes, because he even says that to her. He's he says when she's when she's I think one of the lines that she says to him is I left to find help and I found you. You're our only hope. And he mm. kind of deflects it and he's like, well, I'm sorry, I can't help you and you wouldn't understand. So that brainwashing that Scar has done to Simba really holds true and mm. it causes a rift between them because Nala doesn't understand. She she doesn't understand his feelings because he won't tell her, but she thinks he's being lazy and ungrateful and irresponsible, and she's upset with him. Simba is upset with her because she is on his case, and he knows that deep down if he told her what he believes to be the truth, he's afraid of what she would think of him. But also, Scar's words have had an effect on Simba where Simba has grown to hate himself. And you could see that in this next yes. scene because as he leaves, because like I said, him and Nala have a fight. He goes off. And when he leaves Nala, there's this very short scene where he's having an inner dialogue with himself. He's having a conversation with himself and he, you see a lot of self-hate. There's a lot of self-loathing. There's a lot of self-hate. There's almost almost a desperateness to his voice because you can tell he has suppressed so much of who he is, so much who he that he remembers who he's supposed to be. And there's a lot of guilt because I think what comes through in this dialogue that Simba has with himself is he knows that he is being all those things that Nala has accused him of, but he can't get past his self-loathing that he feels for himself because of what he's been brainwashed to believe. I couldn't have said it better. That That's exactly what it is. And I think it's also, we talk about the amount of talent in this film. Matthew, Matthew Broderick does so well with just getting that across. Yeah, the pacing that he has um, with himself, because it's, it's, I don't know, I, I, I've never done it, but I can imagine being in a studio in front of a microphone and try, <laughs> trying to sell that you're having this inner dialogue moment that's a conflict with this character. That's got to be interesting because you have to really sell it. You have to sell the anguish and you have to sell the emotion. But also for the, for the movie, what this does for the movie, this one scene is you really start to see a lot of the things that this movie, like the plot of the movie, because this movie is Simba's, this is where Simba's arc really starts to come back because up until this point, Simba's arc has been on hold because mm. he has repressed who he is and what he's supposed to do. And he's gone off with Timon and Boomba, but Simba's arc starts to come back at this point because Simba allegorically is somebody who is born to be something that he may not be ready to be because he's born to be king. He's born to be a ruler, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he, Simba himself, is cut out to be a ruler. So having the courage to to fill his role on top of all the brainwash that he has gone through, or I should say brainwashing that he has gone through, his allegoric arc and his real arc start to come back and come more into the main focus of the story. 
And it wouldn't have done so, I don't think, or at least as fast, without Rafiki, who comes in next. Yes, this is where... So Rafiki hasn't had much time in the movie up until this point. But Rafiki comes back. He he kind of tells Simba. You know, he echoes a lot of what Nala says. And he at one point he looks at him and he's like... Um, I think, I think, hell, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, he looks at Simba and he says, because um, I think he starts talking about his father. And mm. Simba looks at him and he says, you know my father. And Rafiki literally corrects him. He says, correction, I know your father. Not that I knew him. I know your father. And mm. Simba says to him, well, I, I hate to break it to you, but he died. And Rafiki's like, no. He didn't. He's alive, and I'll show you. And as a kid, for a minute, the first time I watched this, like, Rafiki had me going. I was like, oh, wait, is Mufasa really alive? Yeah, it's just, this This is, um, not to tip my hand, but this is one of my favorite scenes of The Lion King, and it's just so meaningful. It, it is, and it's become an iconic scene that is associated with this movie. You see um, um, Simba walk up to this body of water and he, Rafiki's like, there, your father's right there. And you kind of see Simba very reluctant and he looks into the water. And I believe, forgive me if I'm wrong, isn't he there for a moment as a mirage and as the water ripples and then you slowly see Simba just revealed to be himself? Yes, yeah, you see, you see um, Mufasa and Simba's image kind of change into one another through the reflection and then you get this great moment where Mufasa literally appears in the sky to mm. Simba and he you have this great scene where Mufasa comes out of the clouds and he tells Simba you know you've you've forgotten who you are but in the process of forgetting who you are you've also forgotten me and everything I taught you mm. And he prompt he kind of he kind of focuses and grounds Simba, and as Mufasa disappears back into the sky, Simba is left with this knowledge that you know if if he ever thought if he could ever deny with himself that he hasn't been slacking or ignore his responsibilities, Mufasa has cleared it up for him, and Mufasa basically tells him you know I know that you've been slacking and avoiding responsibility so now with this knowledge he knows that he can't lie to himself and that whether or not it's going to be painful he has to face the thing that he's been dreading facing his whole life and he has to go back and do what's right Alrighty, and i this just this scene just gives simba like that kind of courage and you see him like with the renewed energy to just go and face his fear um and also important to mention um, when he says your father is alive, Rafiki earlier on, it's like I believe they mention it in a song a little while later, but he lives in you. So like even though he's passed, you know, the memory of him and the lessons he taught, like they live with Simba. And I think that's so important and that helps Simba get going on what he needs to do and take responsibility. So Simba goes back and you can see as he approaches, like everyone's completely taken aback and surprised by his arrival. I believe he comes in right as Scar is arguing with Simba's mother. Yes, but before we, I want to stop you for a second. So he Go ahead. lives. No, so he lives in you. Is actually from the Broadway show. 
that song, I don't know if it was original. I don't think it was because I think he lives in you was also in the commercials for the second Lion King movie, Lion King 2, Simba's Prime. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, wow. that's that's in the commercials, but it's also a big number in the Broadway show. In the Broadway show, He Lives in You is sung when... Uh, he Lives in You... Yes, so that's the song that happens when Simba and Mufasa are having their... Uh, chat under the stars right after the elephant graveyard but he lives in you is also the opening song of lion king to simba's pride that's the circle of life stand-in i'm so yeah so i'm i'm pretty sure it it's in the broadway show but i oh, know gotcha. I, I know it's absolutely in um lion king to simba's pride because it's the opening number because I think that's that's another fantastic number. Uh, but yes, back to the back to the original Lion King. Forgive uh, me for yes. my, having my senior moment there. <laughs> no, no, but see that again. Like I said, these these songs that become so successful and take on a life other other than the movie that they're shown in and the scene that they're shown in, they become synonymous with the project to the point where you know something like that is associated with the Lion King, but it's become so embodied by the Lion King culture that you don't you don't know exactly where it's from. <laughs> I know because it's me. <laughs> I have no life. But I this love is my life. No, I love that about you though. Um, but but yeah, so Simba goes back to confront Scar. Um, and Scar tries to use that manipulation game again where he tries to um, you know, Simba ends up revealing what happened to the rest of the pride. And it the manipulation game almost works. Mm. Like Scar Scar almost gets him, but uh forgive me, I'm drawing a blank. There's a line of dialogue and finally Simba like is like no. Yes, so he tries to turn it around on Simba. And he tries to turn the scene around on Simba really quickly because mm. Scar realizes he's not dead. This is a big problem for Scar's plan and Scar's future and, you know, status as the king is in jeopardy now that Simba's back. So he tries to use the brainwashing and manipulation with the fact that he has an audience presence because he tries to get Simba to reveal that Simba is the reason that Scar is dead. And he does, Simba takes the bait. He does reveal that he believes he is the one that killed Scar. I, I killed Scar. He's the one that killed Mufasa. <laughs> and Scar immediately, because i that's something, again, that struck me as an adult. The minute that Scar reveals it, uh, the minute that Simba reveals it, Scar looks at the crowd and he's like, see, he admits it. He's a murderer. And the way that Jeremy Irons says murderer, there's so much in that one word, in that vocal performance of that one word. And it doesn't help that the animation shows to have a thunder and lightning flash the minute he says murderer. <laughs> so there's a lot of things that come into that moment that give me chills when he says he's a murderer. Um, he starts he starts debate because him and Simba start having a debate as he's mm. pushing Simba towards the edge of this cliff. He starts debating with Simba. He's like, well, if it wasn't your fault, 
that you did what you did, Mufasa would still be here. So see, you are a murderer. And through this dialogue, he backs Simba up to a cliff and he puts Simba in the same position that he had Mufasa in when he killed Mufasa, where Simba is dangling from an edge, Scar is over that character and scar is now in a position to push that character off or help them back up and it was his arrogance that did him in that's right yes because in this moment he this this is the reveal that thing for as a child because i always felt bad for simba i'm like no you did nothing wrong it's it's him <laughs> and and he he leans in and he says to simba now everybody knows your secret but here's my secret. And he gets really close in to Simba's face and he whispers, I killed Mufasa. And I love the flashback that they do for Simba where you see Simba kind of replay the moment Mufasa died in his mind. And you yes. hear the dialogue of that moment. And those emotions propel Simba forward to pull himself up and he turns the tables on Scar because he's the one who's now over Scar because when he propelled himself forward, he's on top of Scar. And he has Scar in a compromising position. And he uses his force to get Scar to admit to all the hyenas and lionesses present that he's the reason that Scar, uh, he's the reason that Mufas is dead. And in a great big epic way, Scar is just like, I kill <laughs> i have to say like tw like these scenes toward the end of the film i remember just getting chills even as a child and even more so now it's just the way they're done and it it does the voice acting the animation the talent it's just amazing so after scar reveals that he's the one who has really killed mufasa everything goes berserk Oh yes. Um, all the lionesses all the lionesses take off and try to fight the hyenas because the hyenas have turned on Simba. So the lionesses come into the ring fighting the I'm sorry, the lionesses come into the ring fighting the hyenas. But now we also get a bunch of our friends who we didn't talk about this, but there's a great scene where Simba as he's returning to the Pride Lands, he's overlooking the pride lands from a precipice and he realizes the gravity of the situation that Nala was talking to him about and Nala shows up and Timon and Pumbaa show up and they tell him that you know we're with you in this challenge so now all these characters who we haven't seen since that scene they come running in Nala's in the fray with the hyenas with the <laughs> that was a new word <laughs> Nala is in the fray with the hyenas and then you get Timon and Pumbaa in this I love really this scene. comical scene <laughs> inside the cave. So Zazu is trapped inside like a, you know, rib cage skull type thing. He's he's stuck in this cage and Timon and Pumbaa are being chased by hyenas into the cave. And I'll I'll let you explain this because this is great. I love the scene with Timon and Pumbaa coming to save Zazu from the hyenas and also at this point you see Rafiki even join the fray and it's just a truly epic battle I believe lightning stri strikes as well and a fire is started and it's during this mm -hmm. time 
of everything going on, you see Simba um, and Scar start having this even more epic battle. Um, And as they're going, it kind of gets that point again where Simba and Scar are on a cliff again. And it's kind of funny that cliffs end up having this thing with the family. Um, (laughs) Simba ends up dropping Scar this time. And Scar falls into a pit surrounded by the same three hyenas. And the hyenas, they remember how Scar tried to throw it back at them where he, there was a, sorry, excuse me. There was a point earlier on where Scar tried to get out of it and called the hyenas the enemy. And they kind of draw back on this. And he's like, oh, my friends. Because you can tell by his expression, he realizes how much in trouble he is. And the hyenas, I believe it was Whoopi Goldberg's character. She's like, your friends? I thought we were the enemy. And then it's just, I believe, they don't show it, of course, because it's a Disney movie, but you see the shadows and you see that Scar is finally dead. And with this, yes. the, the battle kind of ends and you see, this, I believe it's the sunrise, isn't it? Yes, but before we get there, so this is one of, this, is, uh, this, this starts off a trope. So the movie that came before The Lion King was Beauty and the Beast. And and no, I'm sorry, Beauty and the Beast starts off the trope because Gaston dies at his own hand because of his own arrogance. He falls off one of the turrets uh, and he falls Mm. to his death. So this starts off a trend where Disney villains die at their own hand or some natural way because of their stupidity and arrogance. And Scar is constantly trying to deflect blame for everything he does. And I loved that. It's it's almost poetic it is. In, in a messed up <laughs> way that finally all his deflecting catches up with him. And he the fact that he tried to deflect the blame for the state of the Pride Lands towards the hyenas you know they they heard that and they caught and it caught up with him so they they're the reason for his demise and i loved it i thought it was poetic i thought it was great and yes i'll let you yes so now as you said after that we get this you know pr- order has been restored to the pride lands after scar's death uh simba has this great epic climb up pride rock where he gets this fantastic moment where he gets to establish himself as king of the pride lands and i love how they had mufasa's voice echo over the rain and the thunder telling him to like remember who he is i almost teared i almost cried again at that point i'm not gonna lie it's it's all the right feels because again, again like the way the music swells and you start to hear the african elements coming in through the song and the animation and they they, you know, they've animated the moment for Simba to epically climb. It's it's epic in in deliverance, the way he climbs, and just the culmination of the moment with the roar and the fact that the lionesses roar back, cementing that they are in agreement with his, you know, place as king. Then you get a montage Absolutely. of the Pride Lands restoring itself, and I always really like that. Oh, I, I love it. And as you see, like all the colors return and it's at this point at the end of the film, it kind of ends as it begins. And I absolutely love it when books and films do that. 
and you see all the animals gathering again and this beautiful music. And now in the place of Mufasa, you see Simba and Nala and they're kind of introducing and having everyone pay homage to their child. And that kind of sets it up for everything that follows. And it's just a beautiful way to end a beautiful film. It is. It's it's the circle of life. It's that whole <laughs> idea of balance and starting over. And now at the time we had no idea who that cub was, but because of <laughs> the success of this movie and several spin-offs that have happened, uh, we know that that's Kiara. Yes. I have so that, to say I really enjoyed that one too. <laughs> we will we'll cover that one day. This this podcast is not going to shy away from uh sequels and uh live action remakes but they will get their own time and place but yes so yeah so like you said it starts off where it began and cut to black the lion king yes we did it (laughs) we did it first episode um we're not quite done yet but that's that's our main we got through our plot Yes, um, I think it's also important to mention. So, merchandise, spinoffs, and park affiliations that came from this movie. You there's ready? No, there's no end. To there this. is no end. <laughs> I mean, there is, but this this film, as you could tell, financially was successful. And any time there's a great big hit like this, especially for Disney, it just pays out in dividends. Because they Absolutely. they take it everywhere they can go. Uh, merchandise, I I remember I had a Lion King mouse pad. I still have that Lion King mouse pad, actually. <laughs> uh, I had Lion King computer games. My, my birthday for like two years in a row was Lion King themed. But the one specific piece of merchandise that still holds a near and dear place in my heart. And there's a little, I'll tell the story just because it's to it's a fond memory for me. Uh, as I said, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. One night, my grandparents had taken me out. I'm pretty sure it was for my birthday or something because they took me to the Disney store at the local mall and they told me that I could pick anything out. It was any one thing that I wanted within within a fair reason and I could get it. And I remember at the this this Disney store, they had this giant plush mountain. And because <laughs> it was Lion King time, at the top of this plush mountain was this like fake pride rock. And they had this giant, it's not really giant. It was giant to me because I was five years old. Of but course. they had this giant stuffed adult Simba. And I looked up at it and I looked at my grandfather and I was like, I want that. (laughs) And I remember my grandmother trying to get anything else. And I remember my grandfather just looked at her. He's he's like, nope. If she wants the stuffed lion, she gets the stuffed lion. And he found a cast member and he had the cast member go up that plush mountain and get it down. <laughs> and I remember, I don't even remember, God only knows what he paid for it. I remember, I walked around with that stuffed Simba for probably a year and a half. I took it oh. everywhere with me. 
I still have it. It's in my closet. I, I absolutely refuse to get rid of it. I, I don't own a lot of stuffed animals, but that is one that I refuse to get rid of just because I don't blame I, you. I, I just, I love that story. It's a testimony to what a marshmallow my grandfather was and what a great guy he was. And it's, it's become, when I think of this movie, I, I eventually come to that memory. So yes. Yeah, so that's one of my merchandise memories, but like I said, what wasn't out there for merchandise for this movie? Did you do you remember the Nintendo games or the Sega games? Oh, so <laughs> so there used to be up my street um, a just a store. It ended up getting closed down for suspicious reasons. They never told me what it was, or maybe they didn't know, but they sold everything. That's where I got all my Disney VHSs, my Sega Genesis video games. And one of my earliest games was The Lion King for Sega Genesis. And I never beat this game. And I think it was one of my first rage quits. I kid you not. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I couldn't, I don't, I, it was the one with the monkeys. Okay. Yep. I got, I couldn't get past, like I got really far. And then the monkeys kept flipping me the wrong way onto the giraffe or something. And I gave up. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> Well, you're not alone. I never got past that. So I actually had it for Super Nintendo. and <laughs> But I never got past that level either. And oh, the rage quits as a, oh. as a, as a kid. And actually, I'm an, adult, I'm an adult and I still rage quit because <laughs> um, Dis Disney released this game. It's for PlayStation 4. Oh, they, I need to find it. Yeah, so they relate. They released the game again, but they did like a double game pack with the Aladdin game, and it's in the original bit content that it was back in the '90s, and it's PS4, but it's the two games in one. And I was like, oh, now that I'm an adult, I'll totally be able <laughs> to get past these monkeys. No, I still can't beat the monkeys. And um, I don't know if I ever will at this point. It's painful, but also a fond memory. <laughs> exactly. It's painful, but it's a fond memory. I got further as a child and as an adult in the Aladdin levels. Yes. We'll, we'll talk about that when we talk about Aladdin. Yeah, so <laughs> Lion anyway, King was everywhere. Yeah, Lion King was definitely everywhere. And we're not going to go into it, but I think we should just briefly, briefly mention that if you're interested, if you haven't seen them, there are a lot of spin-offs and sequels. For example, you have The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, which came out October of 1998, and that is Simba's child, um, Kiara. So we have that one. We have The Lion King 1 and a Half, which came out in 2004. The Timon and Pumbaa show, which I didn't know about, apparently. It um, began in 1995 with four seasons. Um, there is The Lion Guard, which is newer, that aired between 2016 and 2019. There was also, you told me about this one, Maria, The Lion King comic from 2014 that was published in Europe. I don't know if you want to talk about that for a bit. I had no idea this existed. Yeah, so the only thing I really know about that is that it was published in Europe. It, it wasn't a big comic, but it had a lot of world building. I think in one of them, mm. Simba ended up with an adopted brother. But it never, I never saw it in the States. Uh, I only know about it from, through the grapevine and, and whatnot. But yeah, there was a comic in 2014, which that 
seems so much later. Yeah. Almost irrelevant. But I mean, but again, we talk about how this film took on a life of its own due to its success. And I, I think that only proves our point further that in 2014, they made a comic about a movie that came out in 1994. Um, the sequels, the I like that the sequels continue the Shakespearean themes because this is something that yes. uh, Roy, Roy Disney commented on it, the fact that it had a Shakespearean tone. So I don't, I don't think it's denied. But this, you know, obviously uh, Lion King has been compared to Hamlet. Lion King 2 has been compared to Romeo and Juliet. And it, the the comparisons are appropriate and warranted. Definitely. But I love that Lion King one and a half. So for those of you who don't know who Lion King one and a half is, it's like the forgotten middle child sequel. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's the events of the original Lion King through the eyes of Timon and Pumbaa solely. But it also talks about in the beginning of the film who Timon and Pumbaa were and how they met and their life before the Lion King. And there are two side characters in Hamlet, and I'm going to butcher their names and I apologize, but Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And years later, somebody wrote a book that's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern's view of Hamlet. And I I love that that's basically what Disney did over here is they – they basically rewrote the Lion King from Timon and Pumbaa's point of view. It's worth it's worth a watch, definitely, if you're a Timon and Pumbaa fan. I I did enjoy it. But I have to say, um, I haven't seen all of the sequels, but I am very fond over the Lion King too. I didn't originally think I'd like it because you know, sometimes sequels, you know, they could miss the mark, but I think they did okay with that. And then, oh, it's important to mention too, guys. Um, I'm sure you'll know of this. Of course, the live action remake of summer of 2019, we will most likely definitely have an episode about that down the line. Way down the line. Way down the line. <laughs> we, but, won't, um, we, won't, we won't give you too much of a dose <laughs> of Lion King back to back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are a, the spinoff, spinoffs and sequels that you will find if you're interested in go looking. And then for this next part, we kind of just briefly wanted to talk about park affiliations um and maria you are the park expert so i will hand this over to you my friend i hope you put that lightly because there's somebody out there who can definitely take me on um (laughs) so yeah so to pick it up where the theme parks are um i hope you use that term lightly because there's definitely somebody out there who can uh do better than me but um yeah so theme parks so Lion King has seen a lot of life at the Disney theme parks. We're going to start off with Magic Kingdom down in Florida at Walt Disney World. So when this, this is actually interesting because this attraction, it was the, probably the first Lion King attraction. This attraction, it was called the Legend of the Lion King, and it was a puppet show over in Fantasyland's giant puppet show. And I use the word giant because I think it was made for the audience to feel like they were kind of almost the IMAX effect because you know how the IMAX screen is so big you feel so small I think these that was kind of because I know the puppets were really really big uh but the legend of the Lion King opened in Fantasyland Mm. in a theater in 1994 in July so really quickly after the movie came out and 
if you think about how long some of these park attractions have to come together and take off, they must have been planning to put this show out there, whether or not the film was successful. If anything, maybe they figured whatever whatever attention mm. it could drum up in the parks would only have people go and see the movie. And, you know, for people who did see the movie, if they like it, there is that crossover of world building in the park. So yeah, they were, they were ready to get this show out there, whether or not that movie was successful. So it was around for a long time. It opened in 1994 and it closed in 2002. And ironically enough, it closed to make way for a new kind of attraction in uh, Fantasyland inside that same theater. The attraction is called Mickey's Philhar Magic. And whether intentional to pay homage to the okay. Lion King or it's just how it was planned, inside of Mickey's Philhar Magic, there is a Lion King segment. And I won't spoil what Mickey's Philhar Magic is for anybody who's never seen it down in... Um, down in Orlando and Disney World, but Mickey's Philhar Magic is one of my favorite attractions. I really love it. It's a movie attraction versus something like Legend of the Lion <laughs> King, where that was puppet based and more live. Uh, Mickey's Philhar Magic is a 4D movie, 4D attraction, and it's really great. Uh, there have been parade. Uh, Lion King has been in parades. At Magic Kingdom, different floats. I know when the Lion King came out, I think there was, it was either part of the parade or it was a whole Lion King parade. There was a big float that was Pride Rock with Simba on it. I remember seeing that and I remember seeing different floats and different uh, dancers and performers in Lion King-esque costumes. So Magic Kingdom has seen its fair share of Lion King buzz and attractions. Uh, over at Epcot, also in Walt Disney World and Epcot, inside the Land Pavilion, which for those of you who are more familiar with the Land Pavilion, you know Soren the attraction, but tucked away in the corner. Unfortunately, it never, by the time I started hanging out at the parks and going to the parks on a regular basis, um, this attraction was never super popular. And it, it's tucked away in the corner, but inside that land pavilion, inside the Harvest Theater, there was an attraction called the Circle of Life and Environmental Fable. And that was a video, it was, it was about a 13 minute video, and it was Simba, Timon, and Pumbaa taking you through ideas of environmental sustainability and good environmental practices that would help the longevity of the environment. And you could tell there was like, you know, fears of global warming undertone and don't do this, or, you know, you'll throw the circle of life and the environment will be worse off for it. Just sad, more people, more people probably should have gone to it. I've never heard of that one. I think that's a very, definitely, that's a very clever way to do it. And it does fit in with that circle of life. I like it that. It was a great rule, I think for our characters ambassadors of and to give that kind of lesson that one opened a little after so you could tell mm. that one was probably more relevant to the success of the film because that opened in 1995 and it actually just closed in 2018 so that that too for an attraction yeah that attraction too the long run attraction that wasn't super duper popular in its later in its later time was around for a long time uh sticking with 
uh, Walt Disney World down in Florida. Hollywood Studios, to the best of my knowledge, doesn't have anything. And I apologize if I missed anything. I'm sure there's somebody out there who will tell me what I missed. But um, so Animal Kingdom, it um, it sometimes gets referred to as the Lion King Park. And I really hate that because Animal Kingdom is so rich in culture and um, setting and attractions and the the atmosphere and the feeling of Animal Kingdom for the average person to dub it as the Lion King Park. That's such, that's such a bad representation and it's not accurate for either of the two. But it gets that name because there is a lot of Lion King um, there is a lot of Lion King representation in the park. The biggest attraction that used to be in Camp Mini Mickey, but they got rid of Camp Mini Mickey, and it's now in the Africa section of the park, is the Festival of the Lion King show, which is arguably the pièce résistance of Lion King attractions. It's the it's of the Lion King attractions. <laughs> this is a show that. Uh, it, it's a show that showcases a lot of the main music from the movies and it does it. The characters are there in animatronic form. There's floats, there's dancers. And this show, if you've never seen it at Walt Disney World, I know everything is a little wonky now outside of this podcast in the real world, but next time you have the opportunity and the privilege to go to Walt Disney World, check out this show if it's available and it's running because this show is fantastic. It's a treasure to watch. I've seen it over a hundred times. Every time I go to animal kingdom, even if it was just for a day trip, this was always one of the attractions that I made sure I caught because no matter how many times you've seen it, it's just that enjoyable. I need to add that one to the list. And I like it too, because like the more we go about this and the more we discuss these topics, like I literally have my little notebook right here and I'm looking forward to eventually like ticking these It's a good one. And it's another one that this one opened in 1998 and it's still going strong. Oh, so it's it's a strong fan following there. Must be keeping it alive. So, and then um, to, to go overseas, one of the things I know over at Disneyland Paris, for the summer of 2019 and only the summer of 2019 to help promote the live action remake that came out in summer 2019 over at Disneyland Paris, they had a Lion King and Jungle Festival. And the jungle in the title was there to represent the Jungle Book. So I guess, I don't know if it was on a extra ticket basis or if this was something that was part of the parks and that was just there, but this was a summer promotion in summer of 2019 that was running over in Disneyland Paris where there was some kind of Jungle Book and Lion King themed going on. I think there were like side attractions and there were characters. I'm pretty sure there was a show and a parade that embodied both of those films. So that's something in more recent years that was a limited time event to promote both the, I mean, to promote both of the films because you can't promote the live action one without tying the animation one to it in some way. This is true. But yeah, so that's, to the best of my knowledge, that is what the theme parks has to offer. So closing thoughts. This is, this is, we're almost at the end here. So now I'll get down to the questions 
and overall views of hopefully questions and thought processes that are going to be reoccurring on this podcast. So one of the most basic questions, who is your favorite character? So I will forever struggle with this question. And I think it's just because it's like who you can relate the most to. And I don't know. I just, I like so many, I think, I think at the moment, one of my favorite characters from this film is Rafiki tied with, um, it's hard. I, I really like Rafiki and Timon at the moment. That could change the more I watch it, but I don't know. At the moment, those are my two favorites. And I think it's just because although Rafiki doesn't get that much screen time, the time he does get, it, it makes a difference, especially his interactions with Simba. And I don't know. He just, he stood out to me more this watch than he did previous. What about I you? agree with you because I felt the same way about Rafiki when I was thinking of who my favorite character was. Rafiki is one I feel was tied with my choice that I'm going to end up going with, but Rafiki is a real strong nod for me. But I think if I had to pick a favorite character, I'm going to go with Simba. Simba, growing up, Simba yeah. was always <laughs> my favorite character in this movie. And for nostalgic reasons, I'm just going to pick Simba. It's a good choice. What is your favorite song in the movie? Again, hard choice, but watching it back, be prepared. It's just, it might be a villain song, but it's a darn good villain song. It is. It is. I, I'm torn on my favorite song because I think for me, favorite song and favorite scene, I'm going to have the same answer. It's the circle of life. There's just something about that song and that whole opening scene that it just gets me every time. I really like it. When I think of The Lion King, that's one of the things that immediately comes to my mind is that opening. So I'm going to I'm gonna answer. I'm going to have that answer for both of those parts, favorite song and favorite scene. How about you? What's your favorite scene? Uh, you know, I don't know if it's just going along with who my favorite character was this time watching, but I, I really like the scene where Simba with Simba Rafiki and you know looking up at the stars and seeing Mufasa and that whole conversation that just stood out to me that this that time. is a good scene like that's one of the highlights I think of this film it's one of the more rememberable scenes that people think of and gravitate to and it's been it, it's been reenacted and it's seen life outside of this movie I know in the Broadway show one of the it's one of the scenes that everybody always looks forward to in the audience is when they recreate the scene with Rafiki, Mufasa, and Simba in the sky. And it's it's timeless. It's a really good choice. I'm not going to lie. If I didn't pick Circle of Life, either that or Be Prepared would be on my list as my runner-up choices. So we're <laughs> we're pretty alike here. So me and Maria have this thing going um, where we say like the force is strong with us because literally like there will be moments we'll all go to text her and she'll have already texted me or vice versa. So that will probably be our running gag behind the scenes. So just to clue you guys in. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The force is strong with us. 
So yeah, so now now you know because we probably will say that a couple of times. So good for, good for cluing them in on it. Yeah, but yeah, so that's that about wraps <laughs> this episode up. That's Lion King in the bag Ooh. and all that comes with it. We try to do more than just have a plot discussion. We try to talk about anything and everything that is Lion King, and that's where theme park and merchandise and history and memories come into play. And next time, we're going to do this all over again with a little live action gem from 2007 that everybody kind of forgets about, or at least to my knowledge, they forget about, but that's Enchanted. Absolutely amazing film that needs more recognition in my It does. Opinion. It's a fun one, and, and we'll we'll get into it when we do it. But so, yeah, that's your... That's what you have to look forward to if you want to watch the film so you can follow along with us or get reacquainted with Enchanted for next time. Yeah, and if you enjoyed this um, podcast and you'd like to listen to us more, please feel free to continue to join us. If you want, download, rate, review, and subscribe. And please remember, if you wanted to contact us, you can definitely go to our social media handles. Or, you know, drop us an yes, email. Yes, we'd love to hear what you'd have to say. We welcome your comments and questions. And like Kelly said, helping it helps the show out so much if you download, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes and other platforms where the podcast is available. But it means a lot to us. And if and if history, as we as Kelly said, we're history majors. So when we're not or when I'm not talking about Disney, I'm usually talking about history. And uh, I have another podcast that's called Operation History, where me and some of my fellow history major friends, we get together and we talk about different historical themes and historical events on the podcast Operation History. And it's a lot of fun. It's a different vibe. This is more fun and pop culture that's much more academic and much more serious. And we take pride in the research that we do for that show. But yeah, so if, if you like listening to me ramble or history is something you're interested in, head over head over to Operation History to catch up with me there. And if you like Kelly, Kelly will be appearing on Operation History from time to time. So <laughs> that's something else to look forward to. We made it through episode one, guys. We hope that... We hope you have enjoyed this episode. It has been a real fun and a real pleasure to get together and have this chat and experience this film. So I'm Maria. I'm Kelly. Thank you for listening. And next time we'll see you for Enchanted. But until then, we'll see you real soon.
Pizza Fans World has no association with any of the companies, organizations, or studios mentioned in this podcast. The views and expressions of the hosts and guests are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent any companies or institutions that they currently work at or attend or have previously worked for or previously attended in the past. We thank you for listening and tune in next time to join us.